0: Dr. excuse me today if I sound a little hoarse, I think uh, I picked up something a little cold or something the last couple of days earlier this week, but it kind of lingers and I'm not sick or anything, but I just kind of feel like, I, feel like I'm talking in a tunnel. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 18. We'll be in uh, verses 9 through 14 this morning. I, got, I call this sermon, uh, How We Enter God's Presence. Aren't those children amazing? They sit there and they listen so intently. Uh, have you ever heard a child pray? It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? it, it, it just, they, they tear down all, the, all, the, all our preconceived notions about how we're supposed to come before God. Yeah, they take away all the form. They take away all the, the pretense and all that stuff that we carry with us when we go into God's presence. Because most of the time, if we've been praying for any amount of time, we always seem like we have this formula in our head of how we're supposed to pray, what we're supposed to say, and, and how it's supposed to come out. They don't. They just tell God what's on their heart. And we talk a lot about prayer, and I talk a lot about prayer, I know, and, and but prayer is important. It's how God moves through the prayers of his people. It's how, if we are To have an intimate, close relationship with him, we have to talk to him in prayer. The prayer cards that we put out now, it's a way to help us to be more intentional in prayer, not just to pray, just to be praying, but intentionally praying for something that is a concern of someone else, which is very important. It helps to bring us closer together. It's a great opportunity to create that, that connection in prayer, the person who requests the prayer, The person who agrees to pray for the prayer, uh, to pray for the need, and then God. The Bible says we are always to pray, to pray about everything. And we're given access to God through prayer, through our Savior Jesus Christ. And and we can enter into God's presence anytime we want to. Today I want us to really think about how we enter into God's presence. What What is our mindset? What are we thinking about when we come into the presence of God? How, how, do we, how do we believe that God looks at us, and how are we to look at God when we go to Him in prayer? Several years ago, a researcher uh, surveyed 7,000 Protestant youths from many different denominations. And they were asked uh, uh, if they agreed with certain statements. And one of the statements was, the way to be accepted by God is to try sincerely to live a good life. Sixty percent of the youth believed that was true. They believed that living a good life was the most important thing they could do. They asked them, "Is God is satisfied if a person gives the best life, lives the best life he can. Seventy percent of those agreed with that statement. Another, another statement was, that the main emphasis of the gospel is on God's rules for right living. And more than half agreed with that. Well, that's not true, is it? We know that. But when you ask people if they'll go to heaven when they die, you hear answers like, well, I try to be a good person, or I always uh, try to do my best, and I never intentionally hurt anybody. Many people, including some Christians, believe the right way to come to God is to present their good works before God. Say, God, I'll do the best I can. God, I'm not like this person over here. God, I... I I am trying to live the life that I can that will please you. In fact, that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches, isn't it? God says, come as you are. God says, you're not clean, but I'll clean you. All the world's religions, except Christianity, teach that we come to God through our good works. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not believing in Christ plus good works. Doesn't work, does it? So I want us to look at one of Jesus' parables here about two men who uh, came to the temple to pray and see how they had come to God into God's presence. Let's read Luke chapter eighteen, starting with verse nine. And he spake this parable unto certain uh, that trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray and one a Pharisee, and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus by, with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not, as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican standing afar off, could not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you, Father. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, Father, that you looked down and saw a bunch of miserable, worthless sinners who's taken your creation and twisted it and turned it and poured sin on it, Father, and has ruined it. And, Father, when you should have looked down and wiped it out with your hand, you didn't because you loved us, because you had another plan, that you were going to redeem us. Father, help us to understand today, Father, it doesn't matter where we go. It doesn't matter how long we're saved. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter anything in our life. The only thing that matters is you and your love for us, despite of who we are. Father, help us to understand. Help us to be humble and lowly as we try to serve you as best we can. For it's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Verse 9 tells us why Jesus wrote this parable. Verse 9 says that he was talking to people. He spake a parable unto certain that trusted in themselves and that they they were righteous and despised others. Many of the Jews believed that being Abraham's descendants and following the law of uh, Moses separated them from the unclean Gentiles. They believed that they were above others because of the lineage that they had because of what they did, because they were God's people. But this parable shows that's not true. There are no levels based on who you are or what you do. Look at verse 10 again. Verse 10 says, "...and two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a Republican." This verse paints the picture for us. We get this uh, image here of two men walking into the temple. One was a regular. He comes often. He's a religious leader who has devoted himself to the things of God. The other is a selfish, dishonest, greedy man who has been taking advantage of his own people for his, for his gain. He was a publican. He was a tax collector. They were notorious for taking more taxes and putting some of it in their pocket. So which of these two do you think uh, would be pleasing to God in prayer? Well, we, we probably messed up what we thought it was the Pharisee but we we know who the Pharisees are. But there is a right way and a wrong way into entering into God's presence. So first we're going to look at the wrong way to come before God. Look at verse 11 and 12 again. So The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Well, this is the wrong way to come before God because he came just telling God what he does, how good he is, and how, how his works were. And we're all naturally self-righteous. The Bible tells us that. It is a condition of sin. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We secretly see ourselves as not as bad as some. We believe uh, we are favored by God. Listen, that's a curse of the church. The church, we become God's people, and we serve God, and we meet here to worship God. And in the back of our mind, maybe far in the back of our mind, but there's always this little thing saying, I'm good. I'm good for what I do. I'm good because I come to church on Sunday. I'm good because I pray. I'm good because I tithe. I'm good. God, God, God appreciates me for the things that I do. Listen, it's hard to disconnect from that because that's who we are. It's hard for us to, to, to do the things God calls us to do. We can go and, and maybe we'll cook a meal for somebody who doesn't have any food and we'll give it to them. Well, in the back of our mind, we're, we want somebody to see that. So somebody will know that we did that. So somebody will say, Pa, oh, that was a wonderful thing that you did. But God says, if, you're going, if you want the praises of men, then I'll not praise you. But, but we have to make sure that we understand that everything we do, we, we're able to do it because God's working through us. Proverbs 26 says, Most men will uh, proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. The Pharisee represents all those who come to God based on their own good deeds. And this would be okay. Okay if there were any of us that were good. But the Scriptures often tells us it's different. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Wow. What are we bragging about? If there's not a just man on the earth, there's no one that doesn't sin, then where do we get the right to brag about anything we do? Now, to us today, we understand that the Pharisees are a symbol of those who served their religion and didn't serve God of those who were devoted themselves to the law, but not to uh, obedience to God. But in Jesus' day, they were seen as those who devoted themselves to God. They were the religious people of the time. They were diligent to keep the law of Moses, and they were the religious leaders. People looked up to them. But Jesus used the Pharisee in this parable as an example of those who try to come to God through their good works. He shows us four problems with this parable with this approach. Four problems with coming to God with your good works. First, we're trusting in God, we're trusting ourselves rather than God. And to trust in self means that we do not trust in God. You can't say you trust in both. Everyone who is trusting in their own works is at war with God. This Pharisee who's a religious leader who came, and he was loud, and he was... He was praying loudly because he wanted people to hear all the good things he did. He didn't realize that he was not pleasing to God. He was at war with him. So are we saved by grace of God, or is it grace plus works? When we add anything to to the grace that we have through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, if you add anything to that, you're taken away from what he did. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and, and that not of yourself it is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, I know that no one here will say that they believe that their works are going to help get them to heaven. But it is so easy to allow these feelings to creep into our relationship with God. And sometimes I'll think that maybe we're not praying the way we should or not as often as we should. is because we get to a certain point in our life where we say, okay, God, I got this. I'm I'm okay right now. I'm doing really, really good right here. That's the problem, is when we come to that point where we start trusting in what we do and what we have and what we are instead of trusting in what God has done in us and what God has given us and what God is wanting us to do. Jesus says that the Pharisee prayed thus with himself. He wasn't praying to God. He was praying with himself so that other people would hear him. He mentions God once. He mentions I five times. That's a problem. This is less a prayer, more of a, de- a declaration. He's telling God how good he is, that he is better than the others. He had a list of people that worse than him. He treated people fairly. He was faithful in his marriage. He was not greedy or selfish. He also was pious even beyond the requirements of the law he fasted twice a week the jewish law only required once a year on the day of atonement he also tithed of all that he got even though he was a good man in many ways he was heading down the wrong road he couldn't get uh, it couldn't it wouldn't get him into heaven because he was trusting in what he was doing and not what god had done The second problem Jesus points out here is uh, by coming to God in our own works, we are looking down on others. In verse 9, Jesus said, If you trust in your own uh, uh, righteousness, you will despise others. You will see people who have not achieved the level of holiness that you have. Oh, it's such a danger, church. It is such a danger. When you sit down and start thinking about yourself, it, it, the best thing you can do is don't look around. Don't make eye contact with anybody. If you want to think about how you truly are, you look up. You look up. Because Jesus is your example. And when you look around, you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm not on death row. I ain't killed nobody. You know, I, I don't get drunk every night. I, I don't do these things that people, other people do verse 11, he said, Thank thee that I'm not as other men. He is thanking God, but he is still boasting of himself that he's better than these other sinners. Pride's a dangerous sin. It is the original sin that Satan and mankind uh, fell into who thought they knew better than God. And every sin we commit is rooted in our pride. Galatians 6.3 says, For if a man think himself to be something, then he is nothing and he deceiveth himself. We must never see salvation as a reward for what we do or who we are. It is a gift from God, despite of who we are. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Proverbs eleven two 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with, a, with the lowly is wisdom. The way to keep from being prideful is knowledge. The more we know about God his plan to redeem his creation, the more uh, we knew about the great divide between us and God, the more we understand that the only way to bridge that gap between us and God is someone to come and do it for us. And the only, way, the only thing we know is that the knowledge of knowing that Jesus is the one who came to bridge that gap to draw us closer to God. And the only reason we're able to come before God, the only reason we have a home in heaven, is because of Jesus and his work on the cross. It's the wisdom that makes makes us lowly and humble. And we stand before God not because of who we are, but because of what he has given us, his marvelous and wonderful grace. And we're not here today because we're better than others. We are here today because we need to worship God who saved us despite ourselves. I don't think I've ever got up in the morning, got dressed and say, man, I'm so much better than other people who don't go to church. I get up and get dressed and come to church and say, Lord, I need this. I need to worship you. I need to praise you. I need to thank you for what you have given me. The third problem, Jesus points out, in coming to God with our own works is that we're comparing ourselves Um, to others and not to God. That's what I just said just a second ago. The reason the Pharisees thought he was good was he was comparing himself to other people, like the publican, like the tax collector. And we can find all kinds of people who are outlawing more wicked than we are. It's easy. Uh, I'm not a murderer, but I know where murderers are. It's easy for us to do that. But it's just as easy for us to look and find people who are a lot more righteous and holier than we are. Amen? People who give their life to serve God. People who give their life to serve others. Uh, missionaries on the field who, who, are, who are in constant peril. Who, who have dedicated their life into serving God. But we don't look at them, do we? We only look down. We never look up. But we come to God by our works. We're only focused on those who we feel are less righteous than we are. But God is very clear on what our example is. 1 Peter two twenty one, For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. If you want to brag to God, if you want to tell God how good you are, then you better be take, matching Jesus step for step. And if you're doing that, then good luck. Because we're not able to do that, are we? Because he knew no sin, and we do. And when we focus on Jesus, we become very aware of God's standards and how we must seek his mercy and grace. Nothing we ever do, we are given a thousand lifetimes, nothing we can do, even in a thousand lifetimes, could match the Savior's love and work for us. To focus on our works takes away from Christ's work. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and two good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. How can we brag on something we do? How can we brag on our good works? When we read right there, the, the works we're doing is Jesus working in us. If there's anything good in us, it's Jesus in us. If we're doing anything good, it's his work in us. He took a miserable, worthless sinner who wasn't good for nothing, and and give him the ability to do something good it is all god and none of us but we take it to be us if you want to end pride and live in humility then compare yourself to jesus christ fourth problem is in coming to god with your own works is you want god to see what you do and not what's in your heart Did you see the problem with the Pharisee's prayer? It's not really a prayer, is it? It's not a prayer at all. There's no sense of sin or need, no confession, no guilt. He's not seeking forgiveness or mercy or grace. No praising God for all he has done, because the Pharisee is good by birth and works. And our hearts are in a hopeless condition when we refuse to see our own sin. The Pharisee couldn't see his pride, but we see the sin of his heart. 1 John 3.20 says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Listen, it did not matter what the Pharisee did or said or acted, because God wasn't listening to his voice. God was looking at his heart. And when we come before God... Uh, Sometimes we get so caught up in saying the right words or or, or, or having the right meaning or talking about the right thing and and not forgetting anything and just saying. And God doesn't care about what's coming out of your mouth. He loves to hear you talk. He wants to hear you talk to Him. But when God listens to you, He's looking in your heart. Because you can say, I I care about this. And it could be lip service or you could be really caring about that. But God knows. God knows our hearts. Every time we pray, we must invite God uh, to reveal to us our heart. We should pray Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. Say, so God, search my heart. I told you, children, it's right. Sometimes I pray and, and I really don't know what to say. You know, I have a whole list that has all your names on it. I... And i make little uh, marks about concerns and different things. And I have your family members. I have our prayer list we have on Wednesday nights. I have uh, the prayers you mentioned here. I write them down. And I have a whole list of stuff I need to pray for. And I try to go through those. But I want God to know that I'm not reading a list of names off. I want God to understand, and I need to understand, that these people mean something to me. Amen. I mean, we can give you a whole list of people. Those little index cards that we we're telling you to take one and pray over it. You can take that index card and put it uh, on your desk or put it on your dash or your car and get wherever you're at and spend time every day praying for it. And you may not know who that card's from, and that's not the important part. The important part is that you take that card and you say whatever the need is on there. And you don't just say, I'm going to pray for this need. They have this need, I'm going to pray for it. What you need to do is look at that need and say, Lord, I am broken about this need. I don't know who has this problem in my church, but it has touched my heart to the point where I cannot do nothing but pray about it. And Father, I don't need to know who it is. You know who it is. But Father, I'm asking you to work through their life and help with this need because it is on my heart. Because if you take that card and put it on your lips, it doesn't matter. But if you take that card and put it in your heart, God will know, and God will move. God will know. Our hearts are in a hopeless condition when we refuse to see our own sin. Every time we pray, we must invite God to reveal to us the condition of our hearts. Because if we don't, then we'll be like the Pharisee. But if we understand the condition of our heart, we'll be beating our chest like the publican. But be ready for what God reveals. Because if it's not right with Him, He'll let you know. And prayer is not a time to call God, to tell God how good you are. It is a time to seek His help, guidance, and forgiveness. All right, we talked about the wrong way to come before God, and there's a right way to come before God. It is as an unworthy sinner pleading for mercy. Look at verse 13. And the publican standing afar off, would not lift up as, so much as, as his eyes t- into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you exalt yourself by presenting your good works to God, then you will be humbled on judgment day. But if you humble yourself before God now, and plead for his mercy, he will exalt you in that day. The publican wouldn't even come as far into the temple as the Pharisee did. He stood some distance away. He couldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. he beat on his chest with true sorrow for what he had done. He didn't plead with God that he would change. He didn't promise to do better in the future. He simply came to God as he was, an unworthy sinner, no merit in himself, only asking for mercy that he knew he didn't deserve. And the only way to come to God is as an unworthy sinner who deserves his judgment. Listen, we should never get to that point where we think that we we don't deserve God's judgment because we do. Every day. Listen, Jesus took our sins away, and we'll stand before God in his righteousness, and we'll not have to face the judgment of God, but it does not take the fact away that we deserve it, because for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Don't we can never elevate ourselves to the point where we think that we're above his judgment. Even though he takes the judgment off the table, that's what we deserve. Salvation is the work of Jesus, not us. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 and through 14 it says. Turn to the right page. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12-14 through 14 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein, wherein ye also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he hath quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you, against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He erased it. He took our sins away. He did that. There's nothing we've done. We had no part in that. We didn't say, God, I'm so good. I need you to take these sins away. God done that simply for what he is. Jesus did it to save the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God, God so loved Covington Baptist, or God so loved us, or God so loved me. God so loved everyone. What pleases God is that we are, have been washed clean by the precious blood of his Son. The publican cried, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we should never elevate ourselves above that. We don't desire a rank any higher than this. The publican came to God personally. He didn't go to the priest. He didn't compare himself to others. He didn't make any excuse. He knew who he was. He knew who God was, and he begged for mercy. The Greek word for mercy here has a connection with the mercy seat. The mercy seat sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And on that day of atonement, the high priest would sacrifice an animal and take blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat to cover the sin. That's the picture here. He's wanting God to cover up his sins. But God says, I can go one better than that. He said, I'm not covering sins anymore. Jesus, my son, is going to wash those sins away. He was seeking atonement and forgiveness from God, not based on his merit, but based on sacrifice alone, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is no forgiveness without shedding the blood. And he is pleading to God to cover his sins. God says, I'm going to wash them away. His work, not ours. Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe that there is no difference. For all have sinned to come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins uh, that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness that He might uh, be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. It's by faith we come to God. By faith and believing and knowing who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. We're able to stand before God only because we're made whole, by Jesus Christ. Finally, when sinners come to God for mercy, He is gracious and they are justified. Look at verse 14. It says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. To justify means that God judged this man not guilty. Not only does God remove the guilt of sin, but he also credits his account, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? He went there knowing he was guilty. He went there before God said, Lord, I'm guilty. I've cheated my own people out of money. I am I'm wicked. I am despised. I, 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 I haven't served you the way I should. I, I'm, I'm a terrible, terrible person. I throw myself on the mercy of your court. He should have said, Guilty. He said, said, not guilty. And not only are you not guilty, I'm applying this to your account. That I'm taking those sins away, I'm giving you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that when you walk out of here, you're not the same person you was, you're a new creature. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And he walked out of the temple, he walked into the temple guilty, a despised uh, tax collector, but he walked out righteous before God. How? because he received a righteousness not of his own. It was given to him by God, uh, by God's grace through faith. He didn't have to go out and uh, and do all the Pharisee had done. He didn't have to spend years trying to work his way to heaven. He went home justified in the work of Jesus Christ. I tell you, church, that's why it's so heartbreaking. That's why it's so heartbreaking when you go tell someone about Jesus and and they they can't see or they refuse to listen to you. Uh, you'll you, you go out here today, you'll see many people that go to church today. And all they have to do is come and believe and walk by faith and come and tell God, I'm a sinner. And they can leave justified before Him for what Christ has done. Philippians 3.9 says, And He found in Him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Prayer is very important to the Christian life. We pray for forgiveness of sin, and then we pray because we belong to God. We pray for help. We pray for others. We pray to praise Him, to thank Him for salvation. We pray for direction, for His continued presence. But we must come to Him humbly, knowing who we are and knowing who God is. I'm going to ask you, how do you enter into God's presence? Have you allowed three things to creep into your heart? Have you allowed things to uh, change in you? Have you been saved for so long that maybe you, 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 you change your position on, on who you think you really are? Because I don't care if you've been saved uh, 50 or 60 years. I don't care if you've never missed the day of church in your life. I don't care if you have a Sunday school book with your little check by your name for every Sunday. You're still just an unworthy sinner saved by the grace of God. And that's all we ever want to be. Because he looks at us, he doesn't see guilty anymore. He sees forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every head bow, every eye close. Church, I want you to know these prayer cards that we put on the back of the pews are not just, um, it's not just a gimmick or it's not just something to get you, get you to do. It is something very serious that we take very seriously here. Because prayer is very serious. If you're here today, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're His child. You're forgiven. Not only are you forgiven, but you have Jesus' righteousness to your account. But because you have a relationship with Him, He expects you to come to Him and to pray for the things that are on your heart. Not the things that are on your mind but the things that are truly on your heart. Because he searches the heart. Church, as his his children, we need to be understanding of that. And we let that work through our prayers to become more of what he wants us to be. And we can see God moving if God knows that we're praying with our heart. What's on our heart? for those around us, for those who are hurting, for those who are sick, for our church, for uh, leadership, for unity, uh, to keep the wickedness away so that we are able to come to church instead of being persecuted. All the things in this world that we need to be praying about, but but it it won't matter if it's not on our heart. Listen, there's a right way and a wrong way to come before God. If we're going to see God move and work through us, through our lives, need to come the right way. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Father, for loving us. And Father, I stand amazed that you do love me. I don't know. I think once Adam and Eve sinned, I don't know if I would have wiped everything out if I was God and started over again. But you're a just God. And you wouldn't let mankind march through uh, centuries without any hope. Right there, on the day that they sinned, you spoke of redemption, of sending your son. You already had a plan in place. That's love. You created us. You knew we would fail you, but you was going to love us and save us anyway. Praise God. Father, I ask now, Lord, that you touch all of our hearts that you open our hearts, Father, to, to the love that we have for others, the love we have for you. And, Father, we come to you praying, not what's on our mind, not what's on a list, but what is truly in our hearts that we're concerned about, that we can see you move and work. And, Father, if there's anyone listening today that doesn't know Christ is their Savior, Father, I hope they understand how simple it is, one day they'll stand before you being judged, and they'll be found guilty of their sins <coughs> because they rejected.